When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. All right, Reds, Tony Evans here. Walk on, yeah, Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Well, Diogo and Derwin did the damage down on the south coast as Liverpool reopened a five-point lead at the top of the Premier League. We'll look back on that victory down at Bournemouth and discuss Liverpool's youth production line before talking about the League Cup semi-final second leg against Fulham. And to do that, we have James Pearce and Andy Jones. And as ever, let's start with those three words. James, I'm going to come to you first today. On a roll. On a roll, I like that. Andy. Cool, chaotic combination. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I see the sense in that. And let's see what they're saying over on the Walk On podcast Facebook group. Rob Messeter, Captain Chaos Reigns, Tom Mighall, Andy Carroll Rejuvenated, <laughs> Martin Glendrange 2.0, and Steve O'Brien, Kids Playing Well. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Gomez, it's not a bad ball at all, what a cross, and it's Nunez again, the Reds are really on a roll. The perfect day for the visitors, after a hard fought first half, this second has been absolutely brilliant from Liverpool. Well, well, the difference of those two halves, James, the first half you thought, oh no, here we go again, Bournemouth, and then the second half, well, yeah. Almost too easy. Yeah, it's been a real theme of this season, hasn't it? That Liverpool have... I suppose it depends how you view it. You can either view it as they've been very slow starters or you can say they've got this way of, of almost like growing into a game. And and what is undeniable is that they seem to get stronger and stronger when when opponents are feeling the heat a bit. And it was, it was the same story again. Another one for the collection in terms of Klopp being proactive and changing things and making little tweaks that really got things clicking second half. Because I think for all the talk about, you know, you need a break, it's been such a gruelling period. Sometimes you feel as if when the games come thick and fast, you, you're in that nice rhythm. And that suddenly 11 days without a game, you can see Liverpool were no longer in that rhythm. And Klopp spoke afterwards about he felt the front three were too static. He felt that the distribution from the back wasn't good enough. They were going long when they should have gone short and vice versa and just didn't really stretch Bournemouth or ask enough questions of them. But, you know, he did what he always does, which is show them two or three situations on the, the screen in the dressing room at half time in terms of, you know, this is what we can do if we do this. Obviously got Darwin Nunes playing more centrally as well, second half. And um, yeah, they just absolutely blew Bournemouth away, and especially in the context of you know how good Bournemouth have been in recent months. You know that is a really, really impressive result going down there and like you know, routing them in the in the way that they did eventually. Yeah, definitely. 
I'm a bit confused, though, you know, how to think about this. We've got, you play too many games and you're knackered, and then you have some time off and you lose your rhythm. There's got to be some middle ground somewhere. <laughs> you can't have it both ways, Jürgen. But anyway, Andy, Jota, really stepped up in Salah's absence, didn't he? Yeah, it's like January is Jota's month. And while it's great for the alliteration on that front, it does feel like every season, I mean, you think back to 2021-22, when, when obviously Salah and Mane both go to the AFCON, and again, Jota's there and, and being the main man. And he seems to thrive when he gets that opportunity. And obviously the NFL playoffs are going on at the moment and he talk about prime time, don't they, and all that type of stuff. Um, and it does feel like January is Jota's prime time because it just seems like he wants the responsibility, he wants to put the team on his back and he wants to be the man. It was quite interesting. I, I thought he had a bit of a, a nightmare first half an hour. Not that he was, he was certainly not the only one, but it, just one of them games where Jota can have where the ball bounces off him a little bit and, you know, just everything he tries just doesn't quite come off. So I had to take a few people on and I was getting tackled and stuff like that. And I, I said to my dad when I was watching the game, it's, he's either going to be off on, on 60 and we've done nothing or he's going to score. And uh, they left them on after 60, so it was, there was only one possible outcome and he didn't just score one either, he scored two. So, yeah, once again, he's, you know, s- stepping up in, in Salah's absence and, and and proving, you know, just how important he is when, when Liverpool have got him available. What was Jürgen's mood like after the match, James? <laughs> I mean, you know, he praised the counter-pressing, didn't he? Are we seeing, are we getting back to that the press at its best? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly feels that way in terms of that um, ability to to unsettle teams and and force mistakes at the at the top end of the pitch. And and like Bournemouth actually coped pretty well with that first half. I thought there was num- number of times when you thought Liverpool might be in, yet Bournemouth managed to play their way through it. But um, I just thought Liverpool were just a bit sharper, just a bit more, just a bit cleverer in terms of of knowing when to go, and made life yeah so difficult for Bournemouth in that second half. So. Uh, so yeah, I think um yeah, not surprisingly Klopp was absolutely buzzing with with what he'd seen because um yeah, he would have known that that was a tricky first one up straight after the break and you're never too sure what you're going to get and you know as we said Bournemouth are you know a very different force now than they were when they came to Anfield back in August and I think you know they're safely in mid-table. They've taken points off some decent teams so far this season. So yeah, to sweep them aside in the manner in which Liverpool did was another Another statement, really, in this title challenge. Yeah, well, it's time now to go beyond the frame with Google Pixel, the official mobile phone of Liverpool Football Club, where James dissects Alexis McAllister's performance down at the Vitality. Beyond the frame with Google Pixel. Everything you're about to hear has been recorded using Google Pixel's Audio Magic Eraser tool. That means that instead of our journalists' audio being drowned out by the crowd... The audio sounds just the way the journalist you're about to hear wants you to. You'll hear them loud and clear thanks to Audio Magic Eraser removing distracting sounds in Beyond the Frame. Requires Google Photos app. May not work on all images or all audio elements. So I'm just leaving the Vitality Stadium here on a pretty dismal night in Bournemouth, but it was a great day for Liverpool in pursuit of the Premier League title. And for me, Alexis McAllister was absolutely huge in terms of influencing that game and turning what looked like a pretty tricky one into an absolute procession with that second-half demolition of Bournemouth. He, he snapped into tackles, he, he was physical, he was also very, very intelligent in terms of how he distributed the ball and kept Liverpool on the front foot. Four chances he created, 
amongst those uh, 60 completed passes out of 69, 87%. He won 70-odd percent of his duels. He also seven tackles more than anyone else on the pitch, a clearance, three interceptions, and he regained possession on 14 occasions more than anyone else. And um, McAllister, I think, is, has taken time to, to kind of get to grips with what Klopp has wanted from him tactically since that move from Brighton last summer. Of course, he's played a lot of this football previously in a, in a more advanced role. He's largely been on defensive midfield duties for Liverpool, but um, that was the, the work of a, of a real craftsman today in terms of putting his stamp on the game and ensuring that Liverpool took another step towards that dream of another Premier League title. Beyond the Frame with Google Pixel. Andy, McAllister looked like the only one who turns up in the first half, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he was, he was playing a, lif- a different game to the rest of his teammates. But I think whether this was you know Klopp's plan at the start of the season, whether it was almost by accident or you know by chance that he's fallen onto this, but you can see exactly why suddenly McAllister looks like he could be Liverpool's number six for the foreseeable. And it might be a case of he won't go into the market and buy another one because this was the type of game where you saw McAllister, you know, basically take control. I guess the the difference to, to a Fabinho, for example, I mean his rage and passion was was excellent and he was he was the cool head in, in, in the middle of, you know, what was a bit of madness going elsewhere of no one really being able to settle into the game and, and get on the ball. And but he consistently kept trying to to help his teammates get to that point and arguably his, his best performance in Liverpool shirt. There's been a couple so far this season. But I think you saw the, the combination of everything and why when it works with him in that role, you know, it makes so much sense because it's I think I, I wrote a piece a couple of couple of months back about him sort of being a six point five because he's got he, he is doing the defensive work, but he's also got that element on the ball, which not many number sixes in world football do have. So I think that was what was so impressive about it. And as he gets more comfortable in that role, you know, hopefully he continues to to increase those performance levels, and we see more performances like that. And and hopefully he won't be the only one of, of Liverpool's team who turn up when he's when he's doing it. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. The one, you should never doubt the commitment of Musala. I never met a guy, a player, but also a human being who's more committed to the life of being a professional football player. And um, I know the country is devastated losing him. We were devastated to hear that he uh, got injured. He plays the first game, scores, assists, captain, massive importance, of course. But the only reason why he, our medical team and their medical team decided for him to come back is to give him the best possible chance to be available in the final, if Egypt reached the final. Well, now we, we need to talk about Mug Salah. And obviously... From a Liverpool perspective, we have mixed feelings about his injury of the Africa Cup of Nations and the impact it has on Egypt. But he's coming back home to get treated, James. Can you see him going back? Um, and, you know, I, I I don't think it's going to happen for him. Do you? No, I'd be I'd be absolutely amazed if Salah went back out there. I mean, it was it's been an eventful few days on that front because obviously after after he went off against Ghana, you kind of thought to yourself, well. 
it has to be something relatively significant because we're talking about Mo Salah. Mo Salah, it's a very rare sight to see him. He's never injured, is he? No, exactly, exactly. And so that was why, especially when we all know the ridiculous amount of pressure he's under every time he puts on that Egypt shirt and the scrutiny that he's subjected to, you know, you know, it had to be something significant to force him off that pitch. That's why I was surprised when, you know, the Egyptian FA then announced that he would only miss two games. Because you think, well, that's, you know, in a, in a tournament setting, that's a week, essentially. I think obviously those further assessments have, have shown that it will be three to four weeks. And, you know, I think even best case scenario from if you go for three weeks from when he did it, you, you're talking about the 7th, 8th of February, what's that, three days before the AFCON final? And for, for a start, there's fair amount of doubt whether Egypt will get that far. And then even if they do, you know, will Mo Salah really be ready? So, yeah, I think common sense dictates really that he does come back and do his rehab here. I think and I think that's probably, I think the way it's been phrased for, for me sounds like it's almost, you, you don't want to rule out the possibility of him going back because also you don't want it, you certainly don't want it to look like this is all about Liverpool. That's the thing. I think it's about image-wise saying, of course, it's in everyone's best interest to get Mo Salah the best possible rehab programme with the best possible medical attention and getting him back fit as soon as possible. If that so happens that Egypt is still an AFCON when that happens, then Egypt will benefit from that. If not, it's about getting him fit for Liverpool. I think in the grand scheme of things with Liverpool, it probably doesn't change too much because when he went to AFCON, they were resigned to being without him until the middle of February anyway. And and with the with the time frame that they're looking at, that is probably the way it's this it's gonna be. You know, that Brentford away game, I think, weekend of like February seventeen. So um so it probably doesn't change too much Liverpool wise, but of course, yeah, huge, huge loss for Egypt. Yeah, and and let's hope that it's you know, it's not worse than we think it is because that would be a nightmare. However, as we've already spoken about, Andy, we're about as well equipped to cope without Salah as we could be. Yeah, and we've seen it in you know in the last you know couple of games, especially, and not just with the personnel, but with the the ability to adapt and change things during games. Um, James mentioned it earlier. You know, against Bournemouth, he moved Darwin in off off the left and, and put him more central and. And, and, and work it that way. And then they've got Gakpo going off the bench. And it's been similar in, in other games where Klopp's been able to, to move things around, you know, against Arsenal, you know, Fulham, we had the Elliott in the front three and then has been able to change it and move people around and, you know, put Darwin on the left, Diaz on, on, on the right against Arsenal, for example, and sort of that changed the game. So you've, you've got, you've got a number of options, but also you've now got players coming into goal scoring form. And I think that was, what was, you know, even more important and, and so good to see from, from Nunes to, to get on the score sheet twice as well, because even though he did get that goal against Burnley on Boxing Day, he was still going through that, that run with our goals. And, 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 you know, you, you needed them to step up and, and when the opportunities were there, you needed them to take them. And I think that was, it was great, especially that first one, because, you know, the game with nil nil. You know, it's not a given that he's going to give, you know, put away that chance. You would expect him of, you know, a player of his quality to do it. But he's still got to do it. And at times in his Liverpool career so far, he hasn't been able to. So, you know, it was great to see him take that chance in what was a pretty big, big pressure moment, if you like, to to, to give Liverpool the lead. And so I think you're looking at it now and, and the options are still there and, Hopefully you don't lose any more players to injury, which is becoming a bit of a problem. But, you know, to, to go away to Bournemouth and score four without Trent, without Salah, 
without Sabozlai, you know, three of the real creative forces so far this season shows that there's, there's other ways you can create goals. Yeah, I mean, we beat another team as well without him that started with B and come from quite near the coast. Those bums from Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> 4-0 again, yeah, great. Anyway, James, last week you talked about Connor Bradley you know, after his role against Fulham. And he got his first Premier League start. He probably should have scored. He got an assist. He played really well. And one of the things, the characteristics of this season is the number of young players who are coming into the team and have performed encouragingly, let's say. Yeah, I thought Connor Bradley was was exceptional. I think um, I think we would have seen more of him before now, but for that that back injury he suffered in in pre season, had a fantastic time out on loan at, at Bolton last year, and yeah, I thought he's got a aside from his talent, he seems to me to have a, a great temperament as well in terms of you know he's he's tenacious and works so hard, yet is really bold and in terms of getting into great areas going forward, always wanting the ball. You know that that's not always the case with with young players because sometimes. They can it can be a bit of a shock that that step up, but he looks he looks like he's absolutely made for it, and um, yeah, great to see him get the assists for Jota's second one. As you said, could easily have had a goal on his Premier League debut for the club as well. It's intriguing, really, because obviously Trent is close, very close now to to coming back, and and you do think I just wonder whether he has given Klopp a bit of food for thought in terms of do I stick with Bradley at right back and play Trent in midfield? I think. It's an option. We've kind of like been on this path of kind of Alexander Arnold slowly evolving into a midfielder, but I thought it would probably be next season before we saw him starting games there on a regular basis. But um, Connor Bradley couldn't have done any more in terms of giving the manager something to think about. Andy, that that stat that was that's been knocking around. Bradley was one of six Liverpool players who featured on Sunday under the age of twenty-one. That's only the fourth time it's ever happened, and the first since April 1965 against Wolves. Even I can't remember that game against <laughs> Wolves. I mean, that, that is remarkable. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it it points to you know the the way that you know Liverpool are, are evolving in terms of you know the squad age. You know, it, we sat here last year. How many times talking about how the, the squad looked old and they looked tired, and um, and it's completely flipped on ahead. And but I think. Liverpool have been building towards this and, and almost last season was they got caught in between, didn't they? They were ready to sort of move on from a number of the players. Maybe they thought they could get one more good year out of them and in some cases they didn't. What's what's great about Liverpool at the moment is they're getting into positions where they're so confident and so assured in what they're doing so that they can introduce the younger players. And like you see away at Arsenal, if Klopp had done that last year, it probably would have gone terribly wrong. <laughs> just because of the way everything was going. But he's able to bring Bradley in. He's able to bring Clark in with 15 minutes left at the Emirates and the game's nil-nil and everything's on the line. And they don't look out of place, you know, and, and they both play well, you know, both come away with praise and then you can use them again. And it's, it's just building that confidence. And, you know, we did it with Quonset at the start of the season, put him in at the end against Newcastle. You know, he comes through that and then he gets his next, and then he gets a start and he builds it up and, you know, gets, you know, 10 appearance under the belt and suddenly he's part of the first team squad and you don't even, you forget that he's only just come through and it looks like Bradley's on that same path. So what's really encouraging is that you've got, you've got those young players, but you've also got young experienced players, you know, the likes of Sabozlai, the likes of McAllister who, you know, still coming into the peak ages, 
but they've got so much football experience behind them so that you just combined it really well and, and you know you, but you've still got your older heads in there for, for when you do need the the winning experience if you like in the in the Van Dykes, the Salas, the Allisons. Um so I think it's just Liverpool have gone from a squad which looked really disjointed in terms of the age profile of it to now with it's completely flipped and it's all credit to them and, and the work at the academy and the the belief that Klopp's got in the youngsters. Yeah, I mean, and there's high hopes for Benzo, who's injured. And yeah, Owen Beck as well, who we're contractually obliged to mention is Ian Rush's great-nephew, because no one's ever mentioned that before. Um, but James, you spent time down at the academy this weekend and watched them play Arsenal in the the kids play Arsenal in the FA Youth Cup, and they won 7-1. I mean, I, I believe that down at the Emirates are saying that the, you know, they thought they should have come away with a point. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a, a mightily impressive display from the from the kids on on Saturday night at the academy and Arsenal Arsenal have won the FA Youth Cup seven times reached the final last season managed by Jack Wilshire and uh yeah Wilshire don't think he enjoyed his trip to Kirby because his his boys took an absolute pasting I think the most interesting and entertaining thing from my point of view was when you watch the under 18s play they are unmistakably Klopp's Liverpool in terms of the brand of football. And I think I think that's one of the reasons why when the young kids do take the step up into the senior ranks, they're able to adjust because one is obviously it's, it's a fantastic environment to be part of, very welcoming. But it's also because the kind of things that they're being asked to do are exactly what they're training on a daily basis. You know, the, they're playing 4-3-3. It's a high defensive line. It's about squeezing the game into the shortest available space. It's, you know, a front three that are athletic and full of running and wanting to shut down space. And they they absolutely tormented Arsenal with the high press. I mean, as Arsenal's commitment to playing out from the back, it, it got them into all kinds of all kinds of trouble. And and also just the relentless nature of it. You know, the parallel with, you know, you look at Liverpool at Bournemouth, there was never any thoughts was there on Sunday of settling for what they had and and shutting up shop, it was, no, well, let's keep going. We want more and more and more and ended up sticking four past them. And that was what it was like for the 18s. You know, there were three one up at half time. There was a little spell where you thought, you know, this this might not be over. But then they absolutely steamrolled Arsenal. And um, yeah, some names to keep an eye on because obviously there's the kind of the next crop behind the ones that are involved in the first team at the moment. You know, Lewis Kumas, son of Jason Kumas, who people will remember he scored a hat trick. You know, still only eighteen years of age. He's played predominantly for the under twenty ones this season, but he dropped down to the eighteens for the youth cup. Jaden Dan's again, another one with a, a a famous dad. His dad, obviously uh, Neil. He's almost like a bit Darwin Nunes esque. Jaden Dan's in terms of a big a big centre forward who occupies defenders, wreaks havoc. Um, but is also capable of producing something special with the ball at his feet. And then another young Northern Irishman in Trent Cone Doherty, who, who played down the left wing and caused Arsenal all kinds of issues. And then, yeah, especially when you throw into the mix Trey Ioni, centre midfielder, who, you know, still only 16, Liverpool signed from Leicester uh, last summer. You know, he really athletic and elegant and just dominated that that department of the field. There was loads to admire. So, yeah, Swansea or Fulham, I think it is, in the, the last 16 for the kids. But, um, yeah, you can never be too sure because it sometimes it depends with these fixtures where they land in terms of who's needed for, 
you know, the first team training, who's needed for 21s. But, you know, if they can keep that team together, Liverpool must have a great chance of winning the Youth Cup this season. The one thing that's it, it's done, you know, all the investment in the academy, it's come at the right time, hasn't it, when the profits and sustainability rules, they've saved them going into the transfer markets. You look at the players who have come through and obviously they'll hopefully be the next crop that James is talking about there, but especially in the, you know, the idea of the financial fair play to... The big questions Liverpool had come or have had throughout the season so far was initially the centre half problem. And okay, Matip's got injured, but you know you were talking about in the summer Liverpool probably need a centre half. Quantas stepped up, and suddenly it feels like Liverpool don't necessarily need. Well, they they might have needed two in the summer, let's say you know to replace Matip and also get another one in. But that looks like that's not a problem. Then you've had with Trent sort of moving into midfield. You've you've had the talk of a. Oh, They'll have to go and buy right back now. But then you see Connor Bradley and his performance, and, and okay, yeah, it's you know it's it's only a couple of games, but you know you hope to see him on the same trajectory as Quanta. Where, as I said earlier, you know, ten games in, you know, you feel like he's just part of the first team setup, and you know, even you look back to last season, and okay, we've not seen him at all this season, bar one game. But Stefan Bacetic, you know, comes into the midfield, and you know, could he be the the number six that everyone still seems to want Liverpool to go and buy? Um, so you, you've got a number of these players you can step up and suddenly, you know, you might not need to have to spend that 50 million, which naturally you would just normally go and do to be able to be able, you know, pick someone up from the academy or develop them and bring them through and then just put them into the first team. Does it cost a lot less than having to go into the market and buying someone and, and having to buy big names for big price tags in every position? Um, so I think. That the work at the academy is, you know, is continues to impress. We've we've seen with the players who've come through in Trent and, and Curtis Jones, and, and there's there's others who hopefully will will be to come as well, and including that group of eighteen who look really really promising. James, it's one of those things where I, you know, it's if you're a fan from elsewhere in the world, I still think you should get it. There's a great joy for me to seeing young scouts come through and play for Liverpool. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's. And and you know I remember I remember when Klopp first in his early months in the job he he talked about that. The dream is have all boys in, but it will not happen now in the next five years. But maybe in ten years it would be great if we could um, have a, a team full of scousers. Why not? He said, didn't he, that he will always look within for solutions. Sometimes that frustrates some people, especially in like the social media age where people want to win transfer windows rather than, more than they want to win trophies. And you think, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, they, they want, you know, I had, I told myself, put your phone away, don't respond. But I had people asking me last night whether Liverpool are going to buy a salary replacement for the next four weeks. And it's like... Uh, the transfer ultras, you just, oh my God. <laughs> but I think, I think that's the difference at somewhere like Liverpool is. I think lots of managers... Lots of elite managers kind of pay lip service to to kind of youth development. And then actually when push comes to shove, it's like, well, actually, I think I'd rather settle for the fella that's that's got a few hundred games under his belt already. But Klopp, he does kind of walk the walk as well as talk the talk on that front. He, he spoke recently, didn't he, about the fact that, you know, he, he knew there was this clamour to, you know, why don't you go and buy another right back? Why don't you go and buy another centre half? And he was like, well, if we'd done that, you wouldn't, there wouldn't have been this pathway for Kwanzaa and, and Bradley. And, and of course, from, as Andy said, from, you know, the, the financial perspective, it's also absolutely crucial. And, but then there's the other element, as you said, Tony, which is, I think the vast majority of fans get 
huge satisfaction from seeing young lads, even more so if they're they're they you know their homegrown local lads come through and and establish themselves. Like we've seen, you know, Trent is obviously the poster boy for the academy. Curtis Jones has made massive strides forward as well. But whenever I've been down to see Alex Inglethorpe at Kirby in recent years, you know, there's always been this sense of there is some real talent coming through. And yes, we might need to be patient because, you know, a lot of the changes Liverpool put in place at academy level were right from the very, very bottom. You know, I I remember speaking to them about the pre-academy, like in terms of how you recruit at the age of like six and seven. That's kind of where it starts. You know, people like Tyler Morton have been in the system from from that early on because it's you know especially in a catchment area where I think what is it within 90 minutes you can recruit the best you recruitment is at an early age the the better because you want to get the best kids on board and then develop them and then there's the other element to it we've seen with someone like Bobby Clark where you know you're also then looking further afield in terms of well who who else can we bring in that's that's better than what we've got because you've got to have your eyes and ears you know, alert to to what the other opportunities are. And, you know, Stefan Besetic would be one of those, wouldn't he? Or even, you know, Harvey Elliott was slightly different because he went straight into the senior setup. But again, a a young player from elsewhere that Liverpool have brought in. So yeah, it just feels like the whole youth setup at the minute is in a is in a really good place. Yeah, and you've got to praise the owners as well, Fenway Sports Group, uh, whose commitment to you know, bringing in young players, sometimes being a little, how should we put it, uh, warped, really. You know, because when, when, when they first arrived, they had this idea to make Liverpool the place where youngsters from all over Europe could come, grow and thrive. But they didn't realise that meant you'd often have a void in experience. And, you know, and people would see it as a place to pass through. But notwithstanding that, they've not fallen for all the stupidity and the the mad spending, like our friends across the park, and they've kept a fairly consistent financial sort of reins on us, haven't they, Andy? Yeah, they have, and I think to be able to do that all comes back to to sort of the pathway that that you're able to present to players because it's difficult to sell your club. Um, you know, to young players or the best young players in, in the country or in Europe, if you don't have the ability to say, well, look at this guy and he came in at, you know, whatever, 15 and now he's playing in the first team and you, you need to, to have the evidence of that pathway. And yeah, the, the owners have, have, have obviously have been on board with that youth or that young policy since, since they came in. Really, they wanted to do that. They wanted to develop players, didn't they? They wanted to increase values of players to, you know, if, if he did sell on. Um, and that's, you know, you, you see what Liverpool have done in the academy. You look at the likes of, you know, Rian Brewster, for example, who, who went on that journey a little bit. You're looking at those younger players who you can bring in, develop. And if they're, if they're not right for Liverpool, you know, you've still given them the best education, the best coaching to get them to a certain level. And then you're able to move them on. Um, you know, Harry Wilson, another one who, who goes for, for good money. So there's loads of different elements to the academy. And, and part of it is, being able to, to develop players to sell and to make money in that in that regard. And I think I can imagine that's what's quite appealing to FSG in that sense is that you're able to to generate funds from players who okay may not be a Liverpool standard, but they're a very good standard and you've been able to even, you know, it's it's another point you can you can put to players of like, okay, you might not make it at Liverpool, but there's a decent chance you'll you'll get a move to a really good club because we'll bring you in, we'll give you the best 
treatment and coaching and everything available to you to get to try and get you to a point where you're either you do make the step into the Liverpool senior team or you can go elsewhere and and thrive. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's it's a it's a collective, isn't it? Every, everyone's moving in the right direction and everyone knows what the plan is. And I think that's what's that's what's important. And to be able to have a manager who, at the end of the day, is willing to give young players a chance is is a massive key to it all. Because if you don't have that. It's very difficult to get everything else, you know, right on it. Yeah, I mean, you look to some managers and, you know, the likes of Jose Mourinho, you know, you might as well not have an academy, <laughs> might you? And the, the one thing I think that it does is, you know, it creates, there's a great sense of purpose and a great sense of unity at the club at the moment, um, which is reflected on the pitch. And what it does is lead to trophies. <laughs> We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. So naturally, if we're talking about trophies, we need to talk about Fulham. Uh, Second leg, Carabao Cup semi-final, away at Craven Cottage. It's uh, with a, a slender lead, James. It's all set up, isn't it, for a great night? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, I think um, Klopp was was at pains, wasn't he, after the first leg to to kind of keep a lid on things. There were no fist pumps in in front of the cop, and he he was saying about how you know it's not over. Um, I never expected to be in a position where we could book the hotel for Wembley yet. Anyway, there's a fair bit of work still to be done because you know Fulham have shown. Twice at Anfield this season, haven't they? They were they were unfortunate not to get anything in the league game when Liverpool produced that that late flurry to to win that that thriller, and then even in the first leg, I thought there was a lot to admire about Fulham in terms of how organised they were and the threat they posed on the counter attack. You know, got their goal through Willian, and it was it was one of those games where you know Klopp was able to to change the flow of it with his. Substitutions. You know, if you remember, you know the, the introduction of Gagpo and, and Nunes off the bench in that second half just just transformed things really. And Curtis Jones got his goal, and then Gagpo giving them that slender lead. So um, I don't see Klopp doing anything apart from going with the strongest possible lineup he can he can field because he he knows there's a lot of hard graft to go between Liverpool and 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 thinking about Wembley. Yeah, and the the um, Quite a bit of potential success, didn't he, with um against Liverpool's high line getting behind them. Um just before we equalised, they had two 
very, very good-looking opportunities. And, um, you know, it made you a bit nervous. Yeah, I mean, it, it could easily have gone up 2-0 and we'd be talking very differently about about the shape of the tyre, I think it's fair to say. And I just hope Liverpool don't regret not taking advantage and getting a third because it does, to have that sort of two-goal comfort blanket would have been very nice. Um, but I think, you know, Fulham have got to make the run and it might help might help Liverpool in terms of just setting that line a little bit and not needing to necessarily chase the game. Now, of course, you never want to, you, Liverpool won't go into the game with the mentality of let's just get a nil-nil and get out of here because that's just not the way Jürgen Klopp works. But I think it may help the fact that that they do have the leads. They don't have to be as aggressive, whereas it felt like they had to be more aggressive as, as the game wore on against, you know, in that first, like, because they had to get back on terms. They, they needed that equaliser. They needed to to then go on and try and win the game. Um, and, and the game did flip on that equaliser. So, yeah, it's it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, Fulham, you know, of, of recent beat Arsenal, you, you think back to yeah, at home, you think back to the game last season with Liverpool start the season there, don't they? And, you know, Fulham really get up against them and, and unsettle them and make it really, really difficult. And, you know, it's it's not going to be easy for Liverpool at all. And, and you know, because of what's at stake, but also Fulham... I've got confidence from okay they've not they've not beaten Liverpool they've not they've managed to find themselves on the the end of two defeats but they've shown enough in both games to believe that they're more than capable of not just competing but scoring against Liverpool and and causing Liverpool problems so it's going to be really interesting but I think Liverpool will will have watched that and and they don't need to take as many risks to it's similar to, to, to sort of the Bournemouth game in that they would all it always felt like they would they were in control and, and Bournemouth didn't really get that many until sort of the end of the game when, when it had all sort of, you know, settled itself and Liverpool were going to be run out comfortable winners. And um, you feel like Liverpool have, are going to go into it with, with sort of that mentality of, of keeping things tight and not not leaving themselves too open for, for no real reason. Because that was where Fulham caused loads of problems when Liverpool began to push too many men forward and, and it did look a bit odd tactically after the initial changes. So... But yeah, I think overall Liverpool will be, you know, they'll, they'll have laid the lessons, hopefully, anyway. Yeah, I mean, the the, the two chances, really. The, the one, uh, Bobby Reed, where he miscontrolled it in the first instance, and then the second one where he shot instead of squaring it. You know, it showed that, you know, in, in you know, Marco Silva, they've got a manager who does his own work and knows what he's doing. Um, we've just got to be a bit watchful, haven't we, James? And you, you were just saying you, you saw it as being the strongest side possible. Who exactly do you see in the team? I, I think there'll be a couple of tweaks, and I think I think Gravenberg would be an obvious one to come into the midfield, and then probably if you're looking for fresh legs up top, uh, Cody Gagpo, maybe at the expense of Diaz, and then you know going back to what we were saying earlier about youth, you know it, maybe there's an argument for bringing in Kwanzaa at, at centre half if if there's a feeling that Kanate hasn't got 90 in him so soon after. Although, you know, you'd, you'd think probably Kwanzaa would be nailed on starter for, for Norwich in the FA Cup at the weekend. So, yeah, I don't think he'll he'll change too much um, because Klopp knows, you know, he's, he's always respected this competition because I think he knows what it can do for a team. Either Chelsea or Middlesbrough in the final is the is the reward and it, it gives you that, I don't know, it's almost like it can just ignite that running, I think. You know, it, that's how it felt in 21-22 when Liverpool won that final and and then everything just grew and grew from that moment on. And 
you know, that's that's the hope in terms of getting there and lifting that trophy for a record 10th time, if they can do that at the end of February. Yeah, and, you know, you've got two second-tier teams in the other semi-final. Hang on, what? <laughs> Chelsea are in the Premier League? No, I saw them the other week. They can't be in the Premier League. They're terrible. No, it's... Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I, I think... One of the things that sometimes, you know, you you get people who are, you know, why are we playing in these cups and, um, you know, we, we should bin them and we should play less games. But I think, Andy, people don't realise the, you know, the importance of, of, of winning trophies for a number of levels, big day out, team bonds and players get medals. But there's only four trophies out there you can win, you know, and it's... Um, uh, winning the title's going to be hard. Winning in Europe's going to be hard. The two domestic cups, they're, they're not easy either. But when players get the taste of success, it, it breeds more success, doesn't it? Yeah, spot on. I think that's why this one feels quite important in that sense, is that this Liverpool team, this group, this Liverpool 2.0, haven't won anything yet. And it's getting that first one whatever it is, because as you say, it, it breeds more and more success. And, and once you get that winning feeling, you don't want it to stop. You've got your experienced players in here and, and to continue on that theme of youth, there is a lot of young players in here as well. Um, some of them have won big things, like you've got McAllister who've won the World Cup, for example. But, you know, there's, there's, there's players who haven't won loads over the career so far. So to, to have the opportunity to, to add to that collection and then also the opportunity to have to win the first one with Liverpool, the first proper one, because Darwin Nunes, for example, wins the Community Shield, but really, well, unless you're Mourinho, it doesn't doesn't really count as a as a big trophy, does it? But you know, it's it's just that that feeling, isn't it? Of we know how to when you get into other situations further down the line, say it's the FA Cup final, Europa League final, last day of the season, being in that position of knowing how to deal with these games and how to get through them, how to to ride the, the 15 minutes of pressure that the other team might have and how to find your way through it and, and, and win the game like Liverpool had to in, in the two, two cup competitions uh, a couple of seasons ago, you know, had to win both on penalties, had to get through sticky times in both games, um, but had the, the confidence, the composure to win them. And I think that's what you want to see this Liverpool team take that next, take the step that give when they get the opportunity. And, and that's what getting to the final will provide the chance to, to get that first, Silverware, you know, in the cabinet for for this new version of Liverpool, and, and hopefully that would be the springboard to to take them on to to others this season and then more in in the future. Hopefully, it'll be the springboard to a new age of trophies, James. That's the hope, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, I don't think you can underestimate the importance for this group <coughs> of getting that first one under their belt, and yeah, it's just set up beautifully, isn't it? And especially when you when you look at what Liverpool did last weekend without, you know, I think it goes under the radar, I think, a bit, you know, in in the kind of wider footballing landscape, but that was without four guaranteed starters, really, if everyone's fit in Trent and Robertson, Zabozlai and Salah. And, you know, the cavalry are coming back, you know, with, with Zabozlai and Trent and Robertson and Simakas all very close now. And obviously Salah's not, he won't be too far behind them. So yeah, it just it just whets your appetite for what's in store between now and May. Well, that's it for Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We'll be back next week to discuss the game against Chelsea. Uh, it could be a Carabao Cup final, 
preview, or it could be just another dispatching of a, a fl- failed club from West London. Uh, that would be nice. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, no, no, let's not be too No, 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 they're not very good. They're not very good. In the meantime, keep an ear out for At The Match Pods here on the Walk On Podcast. <laughs> The Athletic.